conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back. I'm your host, Deanna Chapman, and today I am joined by Alex DiVincenzo, and we are talking all about the original Suspiria. Alex, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Anytime I get to proselytize Suspiria, it's a good day. (laughs) So this was one I had not seen before, and you and I have talked about quite a few first entries in horror franchises. And I don't know if we can quite call this a franchise, but there are two movies. It's also part of, in addition to the remake, it's like a loose trilogy. Dario Argento made, they're vaguely related. Uh, They call the Three Mothers trilogy. Um, And if you liked Suspiria, the second one, Inferno, is worth checking out. And the third one, Mother of Tears, is not so much. Okay. But uh, I I picture it more or less as a standalone film. Um, It's just kind of, to me, kind of this perfect visual masterpiece. But what did you think? I really, really liked this. It was visually stunning. And that's good to know about Inferno because I almost watched that movie first, but then I didn't end up watching it. So now I know that there's kind (laughs) of a loose order to this. So I could do that one next or something. But my Letterboxd review was (laughs) something along the lines of my favorite color is red and boy, do they use it beautifully in this. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, it's no one's going to argue that Suspiria is the greatest plot right or you know the best story ever told on film it's kind of dreamlike or or hallucinatory which a lot of Argento's work is but probably none more than Suspiria Um, but yeah just the the visuals the colors the cinematography the production design um, it's like nothing I've ever seen before there's certainly in the wake of it a lot of movies that have tried to do something similar Mm -hmm. Um, and even before it there was a definitely um Argento took some stylistic influences from other filmmakers, but I don't know. I feel like it's, it's, you could take any frame of this movie at random and hang it up on a wall like artwork. I mean, it might be bloody artwork, (laughs) but it'll be, it'll be a beautiful frame regardless of, of where you pull from. Um, I just, I love it. Yeah. It is so stunning to just look at this movie. Like you could, have it on with the volume turned off and it'll still, you know, play pretty well. And one of the things I noticed was all of the stained glass in this too really stood out. And sometimes you'll see stained glass in something like Bates Motel, for instance. I don't know how many listeners have watched that, but because of how it's lit, it's like the stained glass can look so dark and there's no light coming through to sort of emphasize those colors. But in this, every single time you see the stained glass, there's some sort of light hitting it in a way that makes it stand out. Yeah. And then they kind of use that to motivate some of the colorful lighting. Although there's also just some scenes that are just colorful just to be colorful. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up because there's a really cool, it's not quite stained glass, but the same idea. Um, In the finale, there's a really cool, it's like a peacock glass Mm -hmm. sculpture, I guess is what it is. Um, It's just one of those things. It's like a a prop. It does. I mean, it's, it's featured in the movie. It's, it's kind of used prominently for, for a scene there. It's just one of those things like I've always loved. I I want that sometime. I want to like commission someone to make it. It's, I don't know, just a cool ornate thing. Yeah, and it's certainly something you would not see every day necessarily, so it stands out even more. No, that's for sure. Yeah. And there were some other visual things I really enjoyed too, like the use of silhouettes in this, I thought was 
pretty clever because you have those moments in the sort of dormitory scene, if you will, where sort of the teachers and whatnot go off behind the curtains and you can see like the shadow of someone sleeping, the silhouette of someone sleeping, and then that big finale to the silhouette sort of always behind these curtains. And it's very effective. <laughs> yeah, very theatrical, that scene in particular. Almost looks like something you'd see in a stage play. Yeah, and like you said, in the way of plot, we don't have a whole lot going on, but I think that helps to amplify the kills in this because that's kind of when we have a lot more going on. We open with the student going off in the rain and then ending up murdered and the person she's staying with as well, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yeah, because Pat, I believe her name is, is leaving as Susie is arriving and she goes and stays with some woman who isn't really introduced in any sort of way. It seems like they don't really know each other that well. It, it was kind of strange. But then you have her, you know, being grabbed at through the window. And then the other lady is running off just screaming her head off. And I think building up to that introduction kind of helped with the pacing because this isn't a long movie. It's about 99 minutes, I think, is the runtime on it. But there are some slow parts. So you have that sort of beginning where Susie's making her way to the school. And then you get a little bit of action. And then you get Susie being introduced and going back to the school the next day because they won't let her in for reasons that are explained later. But I think you have to sort of have that opening kill draw you in. Yeah, that's that's a hallmark of a lot of Dario Argento's work. He makes a lot of giallo. I, I'm very Italian, <laughs> but I don't, I never know if I'm saying that right. That's giallo, how I say it. Uh, movies. <laughs> yeah. And this definitely borrows some elements from that, but isn't quite, uh, some people lump it in, in as one because there is like, there's a couple scenes where the killer has like black gloves and that's the, the big mm -hmm. trademark of that but um this one definitely has more um supernatural elements and and almost almost feels like a fairy tale a really dark like a brother's grim fairy tale yeah and we have that moment i don't know exactly when in the movie it is it it definitely feels like it's more towards the halfway two-thirds mark kind of but you have Susie going and visiting a friend and he introduces her to this guy who's into witchcraft, basically, and witches. And that fills in some of the blanks about Helena Marcos, who is the founder of the ballet school and supposedly a witch, which is sort of take it or leave it for me, I think, just having them spell it out like that. Instead, I would have maybe preferred it if she found something within the school that gave her that information instead of her having to leave and like go talk to this random guy who happens to know everything. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely uh, an exposition dump. Kind of the whole movie comes yeah. to a screeching halt for this scene to, to tell the audience what's going on. And it's weird because none of the rest of the movie is ever seems concerned about making sure the audience knows yeah. what's going on. Yeah. Um, and I say that in, in the most loving way possible. It's, it's a little bit of style over substance, but kind of in the best possible way. Uh, but yeah, that, that French she speaks to is Udo Kier, that scene where they're outside and like the wind's blowing mm -hmm. really hard in her face in the, in the close up, but not in the wide shot always kind of <laughs> makes me laugh. Uh, but Udo Kier, who's, I mean, I, th I think he's a German actor, but he's been in a bunch of American stuff too. Most notably Blade is what yes. people will probably know him from. 
um, just a very eccentric character, and so it's kind of fun to see him young and and a little more grounded. Although with the dubbing, it's kind of hard to tell. <laughs> yeah, it feels like in these movies, a lot of the Italian horror stuff. Some people are speaking English, and then other people aren't. Yeah, so I guess the story goes that they would film everything in Italy without sound, so people could be working elsewhere on set and not, you know, you don't have to hold your work for uh-huh. dialogue. So they would record everything without sound and then dub it afterwards for twofold, because then you get more work done during the production, and then afterwards they can dub it both in the original Italian language and in English. Okay. But And as you said, sometimes people would be speaking in the same scene. Uh, you know, an English actor, an American actor would be speaking English to an Italian yeah. actor speaking Italian and not knowing what the other one is saying necessarily, which is just insane to me that any of them have halfway decent performances, especially after they're dubbed again after that. But generally, I think they're they're pretty good. I really like Jessica Harper in this. She's kind of basically playing Snow White. She was Her character was inspired by Snow White and... Um, she kind of brings a, a childlike innocence to the role, I think. Yeah, I had watched something else recently where I had noticed that thing with the dubbing. Maybe it was Demons. Yeah, that makes sense. And I didn't think to dig into it or anything. So that's good to know because at times I was like, okay, the the mouth and the audio is lining up really, really well here. And then I was like, this is not the same language that this other person is speaking. <laughs> so it was just... Like you said, interesting to see how the performances turned out, because I imagine that's a very hard way to work, even though it might be convenient in the long run. Yeah, no, I can't imagine ever doing that and hoping to get the best performance, because then you're also the person dubbing the voice, even if it's an American actor, they might not be available in post-production, so somebody else might dub them. It's, I don't know, just as an actor, that would terrify me that like you could put all, your all into this performance and someone else could ruin it with dubbing. Yeah. I don't know. Weird, <laughs> weird phenomenon. Super weird. And I'm sure I'll notice it more as I watch some more Italian horror specifically. But this overall, you know, I have to say I love the music too. I was going to bring that up. You mentioned how you could watch it without sound um, and it would still be great which i completely agree with but the goblin score to this um goblins this italian prog rock band who scored a ton of argento stuff also did dawn of the dead is probably their biggest credit yeah um just i don't know blows me away because it doesn't there's certain scenes where it's like if you were to give this to any composer they would not do anything close to what goblin's doing there's like you know like i said a lot of it's like prog rock which is kind of their thing but then there's like tribal music there's a lot of synth there's just like wailing voices and whispers and and the the main theme which is almost like a lullaby is really cool i don't know it's just just like another layer the same way the visuals are so kind of in your face the score matches that intensity it does in in a way that's very rare yeah it was funny because i watched this and then i watched an episode of stranger things afterwards oh yeah you can definitely see some overlap there a lot of influence i think yeah and it's very cool when you get these scores that accompany the visual in that kind of way because i don't know if anyone else would have done the stranger things scoring the way that it's done you know, with the current team. So the fact that I just happened to watch <laughs> those two things in the same night, but it's just so nice when the score goes hand in hand with the visuals, because I, I say a lot that I 
prefer it when I don't notice the score and it just sort of enhances the movie experience. But this, I think it was noticeable, but not in a bad way, because like you said, it is pretty in your face, as are the visuals. And I think that works for this era of horror. Yeah, I agree. Italian horror in general, I think, is is very good at that, where the scores do stand out, but not in a bad way. Um, they're they're rarely subtle, uh, but again, they're, it's just kind of a different method of storytelling um, in terms of both visuals and audio. And I'm a, I'm a big horror score nerd, especially the synthesizer stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is kind of right in that alley, or kind of a precursor to what you know John Carpenter would end up doing a few years later. Yeah, it's pretty great. And, you know, the the whole aspect of this sort of being this ballet school that is cursed. And obviously, there have been ballet movies since that have, you know, very <laughs> similar kind of vibes, but they're not done in quite the same way. And the way that they use the colors, the music, the whole thing just comes together really well. And I'm sometimes willing to forgive the plot not being as exciting if a movie gives me other things to focus on that I really like. And as you know, I watched a lot of King's stuff before I started going back and sort of filling in these bigger horror blind spots, if you will. So I watched a lot of bad stuff, (laughs) (laughs) which is no knock on King or anyone who made those things. But, you know, some of the stuff was like TV miniseries and TV movies that didn't have big budgets or stuff like A Return to Salem's Lot, which I'm not sure why something like that existed, because there's, you know, stuff (laughs) that is very derivative like numerous Children of the Corn movies. And I think it kind of makes it so that I enjoy stuff like this a little more because when people are like, there's no plot, I'm like, oh, you have not seen a movie with no plot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I will take a, you know, a interesting, even if not good, uh, you know, wild swing, big swing over just like a boring generic movie any day of the week. Uh, I I don't think this one is either. I think this one, well, it is a big swing, but I just think everything about it works even in spite of some of the things that shouldn't work. Um, and I'm, I'm so glad you enjoyed it because I've, I've shown this to other friends and stuff and sometimes it just doesn't click and I get it because it is, again, like I said before, uh, I wouldn't argue someone who calls it style over substance. Uh, but to me, it just, I don't know, it works for whatever reason. It's, it's almost, almost can't put it to words other than just saying it looks really pretty and sounds really good. <laughs> well, it, in a sense, is kind of like a murder mystery story because you have Susie who is sort of figuring out what's going on as things are happening and people are going missing and she goes out and gets the answers and figures it out and puts a stop to it. But the one thing that I was a little unsure of was the piano player and his dog. Like that whole scene felt like a different movie. Yeah, it's almost like they just, and I don't know that this was the case, but I feel like around this era, there would be like, almost like a stopwatch, like you need a kill every 15 minutes or whatever it is. Yeah. And it's just like they, they didn't have anything to happen in that kind of midpoint in the movie. So there's this this blind piano pianist who plays for the the dance school and he has this dog who attacks him in this... It's a really cool looking scene. They're like mm-hmm. outside in the middle of some, I don't know, nice looking uh, European area. Yeah, it's just like a giant plaza almost. Yeah, exactly. Um, and granted, the dog is very fake looking in that <laughs> yeah. scene. It's like definitely like a puppet. But they, you know, they cut, do fast cuts. 
but yes, it did. It does seem kind of out of place. Even having it set in that plaza is weird because so much of the rest of the movie is all contained in the dance school, other than mm-hmm. that opening scene um, and that exposition dump that we discussed. So it's I don't know. Yeah, it, it does kind of come out of left field, but and I think just because it's so much darker than every other scene in a sense because there's not a ton of lighting you have the two guys in white come in and that kind of gives you that contrast there but you know the dog's a german shepherd so black and brown dog for the most part and it just kind of felt like a little bit of a different tone there but that is really you know i only had a couple complaints about this and i did enjoy a lot of the other effects, you know, like you said, you could tell the dog was fake because obviously they're not going to have a dog ripping some guy's guts out. <laughs> and there were a lot of gore effects in this that I think worked well for me. And the practical effects, like when stuff is coming off the walls, doors are blowing open, you have stuff shaking and rattling. I thought that was all very effective. Yeah, that uh, the opening scene where the girls hanged in a very kind of elaborate manner is is one of my favorite death scenes in a movie which uh, to anyone who doesn't watch a lot of horror movies probably makes me sound like a (laughs) psychopath but uh, no it's it's just beautifully orchestrated um just the way it plays out almost like a rube goldberg kind of thing like like a final destination-esque where just like everything has to go just right or just wrong as it were for this to all work out and she comes crashing through that skylight that also has a cool pattern on it uh, it's just, I don't know, fascinating. And then the glass from the skylight, I believe, kills the person she was staying with. Yeah, so you kind of get a two for her. Yeah, it really is like a final destination kind of thing. And there is this show called Elementary. It's not on anymore. It was like the American Sherlock show, basically. Yeah, I never watched it, but I, I'm familiar with it. Yeah, and it had this opening where it was like... You know, you start with the ball and it rolls down and it does all this stuff. And that first kill was very much like that, where it was like, you know, people who do those trick shots and stuff. (laughs) And they set up like these big elaborate things in their houses and the ball has to like knock over the dominoes and all this stuff. That was kind of what it reminded me of, but like the kill version of it. (laughs) Yeah, no, I can totally see that. I also, I love the scene where the, I think it's her roommate, one of the other dancers anyway uh falls into the pit of razor wire yeah and it's like this scene like she's it's all bathed in blue and it, i don't know it's just a weird if you like break it down and think about it, it doesn't really make sense because she just like she comes in through a window and just drops in without looking <laughs> what's under her like what she's falling on even though it's very well lit with these blue bright, yeah. bright blue lights but it's it's very effective um I don't know, like, it's it's easy. It's obviously very fake, you know, razor wire, but uh, I don't know. It's one of those things that kind of makes my skin crawl a little bit watching it. Yeah, and obviously when you're looking at it, it's not real razor wire because you couldn't really, like, see the barbs or anything on it when she, like, was trying to get out of it. But you know that's what it is. <laughs> the fact that this school just has, like, a room of razor wire. Like, <laughs> well, that's also a good point. These ladies are up to something and it's a little crazy and then you have i think not too long after that you have Susie like seeing this sort of ritual thing going on this movie is pretty bizarre so i i definitely understand too why some people wouldn't like it but i thought it was fun all around yeah i, th- I think it, it might be an easier sell to people if it was kind of the straight murder mystery which it which it is for the first half more mm-hmm. or less but then kind of once you get into the more the occult stuff and the, and the witches 
it's like, oh no, this is this is kind of a different beast. Oh, and I wanted to mention, sorry not to backtrack. No, no, go ahead. But the, the maggots that come down from the, oh, God. the ceiling is also another scene that kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies a little bit in a good way. On that same note, like when they showed the two people walking on them, I was just like, oh, no, I don't like this. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, a lot of whatever. I don't think they were real maggots, but whatever they use in place of, of maggots in movies. Yeah. It had to be a lot of them. And you could just like see them squishing under their feet. I was just like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> but a, a lot of great framing in this, too. Yeah, the the cinematography is, I mean, really just next level between how the shots are framed and the, the colored lighting. And it's, you know, coupled with the production design and everything down to like, even the, the wallpapers are really elaborate. Yeah. And, and there's like murals that are really cool. The, the architecture, it's just, I don't know, it's just incredible. It's, if you tried to make this movie now, you would need so much money because you'd have to build all these elaborate stuff. I don't know how they, you know, how they pulled it off yeah. in 1977 on a pretty limited budget. Part of me is like, is this a real building? Because I feel like it's definitely a more European thing to have like the color rooms. So like the red room, the yellow room, and then there was a blue room. Yeah. In addition to, you know, the blue with the <laughs> razor wire and everything. So <laughs> it seems like it's possible that was a real place and they just happened to find it and get to use it. But yeah, now this would need to be like built from scratch, set, do all the interiors on a lot kind of thing. Yeah, which, I mean, they did. I mean, the, the remake, which, uh, have you seen that yet? I guess I should ask first. I have not. Okay. Um, it's very different. It's definitely worth checking out. I'm, this The original is one of my favorite movies, so I was a little skeptical. It bites off a little more than it can chew. It's, it's very ambitious, kind of gets bogged down a little bit. But what it does best is, well... Two things. First of all, it, it does what I like in a remake is take the general plot and kind of do something new yeah. with it. Like, it's still about, uh, you know, a coven of witches running a dance academy. Then, you know, the details within that. It's not just like, it doesn't replicate the scenes. It's not like watching the greatest hits or whatever, or like a cover song, which kind of bothers me with remakes. It yeah. kind of seems pointless. Um, but what it does beyond that is not only different in the sense of updating the script, but also completely different visual style or aesthetic okay. in general. Um, it's it's not all the bright colors. In fact, it's very like drab and, and kind of, you know, grays and earthy tones for a lot of it, other than they were like, there's some cool use of red lights, but in a different way. Um, and sonically, it's very different. Um, it has a score by the guy from Radiohead. Okay. Uh, really nice score. Um, but you know, doesn't it doesn't try to be the original movie, um, and I think, I I think it it succeeds because of that. It's it's not just reminding you of like, oh, remember this other movie you like? Well, we're gonna do it, but not as good. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, the remake's quite a bit longer than the original, right? Yeah, it's like two and a half hours. So like again, it's it it adds a lot. There's some some interesting things that it does. Uh, Dakota Johnson plays Susie, and Jessica Harper does have a role in this as well, which is which okay. is kind of cool, but uh, if unnecessary. Sometimes I find cameos from original <laughs> actors pretty distracting in, in remakes, but hers kind of makes sense in, in this regard. It's not just like she doesn't just pop up as like, oh, I'm a cab driver or whatever. She actually has like a decent role. Yeah, I definitely plan to check that one out. I wanted to watch this one first before I did that one because... I have done some things in like backwards order. Like <laughs> I realized that I watched Army of Darkness 
before watching The Evil Dead 2? <laughs> well, I, th I think that's... I think a lot of people saw that one first because, well, it had, like, the biggest release because that was, like, a studio yeah. movie and, they, you know, it wasn't called Evil Dead 3, so people didn't even know it was a sequel sometimes. Yeah, that that's what happened. My friend gave me a list of movies <laughs> that were on her watch list and I said, let's watch Army of Darkness, and then I was like, oh... <laughs> Oops. I still haven't watched the second one yet, but that's on my list to do as well. But oh, you're missing out. It's a fun yeah, one. Yeah, I've seen the first one at least. So I was like, oh, okay, this, this yeah. tracks. I kind of did things backwards here. But, you know, I don't know if I have too much more to say about this because like we, we've said a couple times now, not a whole lot of plot to go on. But I did enjoy the scene to where Susie collapses and you sort of just see the, oh, the yes. blood trickling down her nose and like coming out her mouth and then and it's like mid dance uh, that scene yeah and you know these people just are so harsh it's like nah you're good you're fine you can <laughs> practice let's see what you can do and it's like she's clearly not well <laughs> you know so it just kind of goes to show a lot about the other characters I guess you could say in that scene and the follow-up scene when she's in bed and ballet seems like a a tough career <laughs> yes i'm i'm glad i'm not a dancer particularly at at the tans academy yeah uh, but yeah i actually i'm glad you brought that scene up because i feel like it doesn't get talked about a ton but it's a really effective kind of build of of tension or sustaining of tension because obviously you know she's not feeling good and and the camera just follows her as she's trying to dance and keep it together and you can see she's slowly falling apart um you kind of alluded to similar movies in in the past or i mean they came after suspiria they mm -hmm. kind of did similar things um and that scene in particular reminds me a lot of black swan which is kind of a closer remake than the actual remake yeah. of suspiria um obviously you know it's it's not a remake but it, it shares a lot in common and is also fantastic but uh yeah i think that that scene always kind of almost parallels a, a scene in black swan yeah, I certainly thought about that movie a couple times, not only because of this, but because my friend Janice told me to rewatch it recently because of us watching <laughs> Perfect Blue for something else. So Oh, there you go. It all ties together. It was all tied together this whole time, and I didn't even realize what I was doing. But <laughs> this is how these things happen to me. I just... Happy little accident. Yeah, exactly. But Alex, anything else you want to bring up before we wrap up here? Um, I would say if you've never seen Suspiria or like interested in seeing it in the best possible way, there's a Blu-ray and a 4K disc put out by this company called Synapse Films. Um, and they like painstakingly went back and restored it in 4K, um, worked with the cinematographer to get all the colors right and everything and the sound, they, they <clears throat> restored the sound. It, it's one of those things like it's always been a beautiful movie, but seeing it like that is almost like seeing it for the first time again uh you know it's one of those movies i wouldn't recommend watching on you know a laptop or whatever streaming although you'll still get a lot out of it but if you want the best possible quality that's one of the my favorite discs in my collection because it's like if you want to show someone what a blu-ray or a 4k disc is capable of that's the perfect example i will admit that i did stream it not on a <laughs> laptop though there's nothing wrong with that it <laughs> happened to be on canopy which i get through my library card. So anyone who doesn't know, oh, okay. if you have a library card, there's a chance you have Canopy. And 
Suspiria is on there right now because I looked and I was like, oh, this isn't actually streaming on any of my usual places like Shudder or Netflix or whatever. So I was like trying to find it because I was like, I got to do this episode tomorrow. So it's not like I had time to... <laughs> oh, real last minute. Good work. Yeah. Well, I try to do the stuff the, the day before. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm sure you want it fresh in your mind because you're doing a lot of different things. Yeah. Yeah. Because I do... Uh, too many things, probably. <laughs> it looks like, I just looked up, it looks like it's on Tubi right now, too, which is free, but it does have ads. Yeah, that's why I went with Canopy, because I was like, all right. <laughs> yeah, so if you have Canopy, definitely do that and thank your local library. Yeah. But if you don't want to buy the Blu-ray disc, I understand. You can watch it on Tubi. It's still an amazing movie, but you're going to watch, like, the same ad every 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, that's why I was like, no, we're not ruining this with ads but <laughs> canopy came through and i had a very good time with this and even though the pacing is off here and there it's only 99 minutes it's not quite a tight 90 but it's a loose 90 and i love that <laughs> <laughs> yeah right on i'll be back to talk to you about all the sequels and the remake. <laughs> oh, wait, now you're ending the show. Yeah, yep. This is episode 285 that you're all listening to. And just a little reminder, retiring at episode 300. But Alex, you might be back before then. So don't worry. Oh, yeah. Let me know. If you need a filler to talk about boring movie, let me know. You're never filler. <laughs> thank you. But thank you for joining me and getting me to watch this finally. It's been on my list for a while. Anytime.